Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, it's our inaugural book club show. Today we meet to discuss Maceo Montoya's novel, Preparatory Notes for Future Masterpieces, about an aspiring painter with grand ambitions who, instead of painting, writes about the masterpieces he will one day create when the conditions are right. Along his quest from the mountains of New Mexico, our would-be artist runs into not only Chicanex historical figures, but also confronts questions about his sanity. Author Maceo Montoya joins our book club right after this news. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim, and welcome to our book club series, where we'll regularly delve into a book by a writer with California roots. Today, we're going deep into Maceo Montoya's new novel, Preparatory Notes for Future Masterpieces. It opens with a letter from a man named Ernie to a Chicanex literature professor. Ernie has just inherited a manuscript and drawings done in pen by his now-deceased uncle, sent to him from his uncle's rest home. What follows is the manuscript itself, the uncle's autobiography, which includes his adventures and descriptions of masterful works of art that he never paints. Do you know someone like this who talks about doing something extraordinary, a masterpiece, a novel, but uh, never quite does? Is this you? What value exists in unrealized dreams? If you have thoughts, you can join the conversation by calling 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or share your thoughts on email to forum at kqed.org. And joining me first, the author himself, Maceo Montoya. Welcome to Forum. Thank you for having me. So in your own words, What's your novel about? My novel is about an artist who has these these incredible ambitions and um, but also kind of a different way of viewing the world and um, often finds over and over that uh, those who are around him don't see the world in the same way. 
And um, it's also kind of a, another way of saying that he struggles with, uh, with madness because everyone views him um, and his struggle uh, as, 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 as an outsider, um, as someone who doesn't fit in. And uh, in one form or another, um, he's always trying to go in one direction and, and the world wants him to go in another. Um, and being misunderstood over and over uh, leads him uh, into this kind of this, uh, this life of, of many obstacles and, and uh, travails. So what inspired this? Did you have an uncle like this? I did. Um, uh, I mean, this the story uh, of the the this narrator wanting to be an artist and 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 failing to do so um, is is invented and you know maybe even comes from my own experience of of you know my 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 own struggles to create and an artist that I know. But um, I have I, ha I had an uncle who who was schizophrenic and um, he for much of my life was in a rest home in in Vallejo and I would travel with my dad. Um, when I was able to drive, I would go by myself um, and I would want to have these conversations with him. And um, it was clear that he wanted the company, but he was not able to really express himself. And so it was just these these kind of one word um, responses to whatever questions that I had. And mm -hmm. I come from a family of artists with incredible stories. Um, my father, Malakias Montoya, is a printmaker and muralist and educator. My uncle, Jose Montoya, um, a poet and an artist and a, and a musician. And so I knew that being part of this family, that uh, he, he had you know, these stories inside of him and I, I was unable to kind of tap into those. I was unable to kind of get him to express um, whatever, whatever stories that he had experienced in life that he had led. And, and so I, I think that what's wonderful about being a fiction writer is you can take a, a desire like that, these questions that you have, and, and you can invent and you can imagine this whole life that, uh, um, that someone may have led, um, even if it kind of emerges from, from the, you know, these, these, you know, these frustrated conversations that we were unable to have. What drew you to the idea of a painter who doesn't paint, who basically writes his paintings? And I ask also because you are a painter, you are an artist, you are a muralist, and you are a writer. Yeah, so I... I mean, I think that's the struggle of any artist is, um, or, you know, whatever the form is, is you have these ideas in your head and um, how to find a form um, to, to get them onto paper or onto canvas. And, you know, some of us manage to, to produce, right, to, to put it onto to paper or to, onto canvas. Um, but I think it's always a struggle. And um, I think at the time that, that I started um, this, this manuscript, which was, you know, over 10 years ago, um, you know, I may have been, may have been going through a similar, a similar struggle. Um, <laughs> But I, I guess it, it, it goes back to the story of my uncle and being schizophrenic and kind of being unable to express himself um, is, is I, I am fascinated with uh, kind of one's um, what's bottled up inside the dreams that one has inside that that, that can't that can't um, uh, that can't be expressed that can't be um, put down in in one form or another and how that can can define us how our silences define us. So there's a scene that I was wondering if you'd be willing to read from us from your book. This is when the uncle goes to a pool hall um, 
And do you want to set it up first before you read it, actually? Yeah, so the, the narrator, um, you know, desperately wants to move on from his preparatory notes and to begin drawing. And so he feels that he if, if he enrolls on this online course that the, the instructor will insist that he draw. Um, and so one of the first assignments that the instructor instructor asks him to do is to to sketch a crowded cafe. Um, and he's in you know, Albuquerque, New Mexico, and, and the, what he has in his head is like a French cafe that, he, that, that you know, he's seen in-, in Yes, uh, he really wants to go to Paris. <laughs> yeah. And, but there's a billiard hall down the street and he just has all these assumptions about the billiard hall and its patrons that they're just gonna be ruffians and they're not gonna understand him as an artist and his vision. And so he goes, he goes to the billiard hall and um, uh, he's actually surprised that all the patrons there are excited to meet an artist. Um, they just had never met one before. And so the fact that he's in their presence, um, they're, they're more than willing to pose for him. And because he feels this pressure that it has to be, you know, this masterpiece, um, he reverts to his habit of taking preparatory notes. And he suddenly, it suddenly dawns on him that um, the people he's been drawing are going to want to see the actual drawing. Um, and in fact, he tries to escape and they stop him. And he says to them, look, I can't show you the drawing because it would be bad luck, but how by how about I, I describe it for you? Um, and so then this is, this is what follows. I asked that no one stand behind me to make sure I leaned against the billiard table. When I was certain that the contents of my sketchbook were safely concealed, I began to read from my notes, uncertainly at first, but quickly gathering steam as I fell into the rhythm of my own words. What's incredible is that the previously jovial, boisterous men, three and four beers in, if not many more, visibly quieted. It wasn't just the silence of the room. You could actually hear a fly buzzing against the window and the low whir of an electric icebox. It was the visible calm that descended on each and every one of their faces. They truly believed I was describing a detailed drawing of them, their friends, their fellow patrons, and the room in which we were all gathered the grain of a beer-stained tabletop, the wafting haze of smoke, the golden light glancing off a forehead, a receding hairline, a cowlick, an uneven part, the bunched wrinkles of a silk shirt, the cross-hatched weave of a leather belt, the number of folds in a short man's linen pants, a perfect crease in another's khakis, shoes with round laces, leather boots covered in a film of fine dust. The more I became aware of my audience's rapt attention, the louder my voice rose until I felt like a god decreeing that the world be as I saw it. My description moved around the room from left to right, starting with the drunk. I described their faces, the broad bridge of a nose, nostrils the shape of a pinto bean, untrimmed nose hairs, an eyebrow with a scar through the middle, brown eyes speckled with green, black piercing eyes, the sharp plane of a cheekbone, sunken eyes, a pronounced chin, wide jowls, a pockmark, a mole, a stray mustache hair, chapped lips, skin the color of red earth, ruddy skin, wrinkled skin. I described the room's minutest details, the reflection of a ball formation in a man's glasses, the crisscrossing shadows on the splintered wood panel floor, the downy texture of green felt, the eight balls crossed like highlights, a hint of white chalk on a black fedora, two-toned shoes, an untied shoelace, a silver timepiece. I described it all, the shadows, the highlights, the midtones, thick lines giving way to thin ones, the prominent details supported by the insignificant, more details than they could ever process, but they tried, they tried hard. 
even though I was describing them in the billiard hall that we still occupied. My description seemed to transport my subjects so that they were imagining men in a billiard hall thousands of miles away. When I finished, there was silence. That's Maceo Montoya reading from his novel, Preparatory Notes for Future Masterpieces. And one of the reasons I asked you to read that, Maceo, is because uh, one of our listeners who read that was also really affected by that scene. The listener wrote, a scene that stuck with me was the one where the main character goes to a pool hall and is cheered on by a crowd as they assume he's sketching, but he's actually writing preparatory notes. So when the crowd asks to see the sketch, he doesn't have anything to show them. That scene made me cringe because it reminded me of the novel I've been working on for more than a decade. I've shared sections of it with friends and other writers and received lots of encouragement to finish it, but I haven't yet which makes me feel like a failure. I've dreamt of publishing a book since I was a child, but have let that dream sit on the sidelines. You know, I was also struck, I think that the following page after that passage, you have the narrator say, I began worrying that my execution of said drawing would not compare to the description I had so confidently read aloud. One of the things I wondered about, and we're just coming up on a break, but why you never name the narrator. In some ways, it's almost like it's compounding the fact that he never achieves his dream. Exactly. Uh, I mean, I, I think that that for so many um, of, of the, the characters in the novel, um, there are those that are well-known or at least well-known within, you know, Chicano, Chicanx history. Um, but for the most part, you know, despite their ambitions and their, their talents and, and their desire that they will disappear, uh, that they will, will remain uh, um, uh, these, these these figures that are that are lost to history, and I'm very much aware of that as as a scholar, um, as an educator in Chicanx culture, um, just how much of um, our writers and and artists um, have been lost. Mm. We're talking with Maceo Montoya for Forum Book Club about his novel, Preparatory Notes for Future Masterpieces. If you'd like to join the conversation, please do so at 866-733-6786. Email us, forum at kqed.org, or post comments on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. If you've read the book, tell us what your favorite scenes or illustrations are, or if there's anything that's resonating with you about what stands in your way from creating your masterpiece, or someone else who you know has been working on something like this for some time. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum Book Club. I'm Mina Kim. Today we're talking about Maceo Montoya's new novel, Preparatory Notes for Future Masterpieces, about an artist from New Mexico who tries in vain to fulfill his vision of painting masterful works of art and moving to Paris in the 1940s, but who is poor, prone to epileptic fits, and is institutionalized. We have the book's author with us, Maceo Montoya, 
who is also author of The Scoundrel and the Optimist, The Deportation of Wapra Barata and Letters to the Poet from His Brother. He's associate professor in the Chicana Chicano Studies Department at the University of California, Davis, where he teaches courses on Chicanx culture and literature, also an artist and muralist. Let me introduce the rest of the members of today's book club, Reina Grande is author of the memoirs, The Distance Between Us and A Dream Called Home and the novels Across a Hundred Mountains and Dancing with Butterflies. Reina Grande, welcome to Forum. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. We're really glad to have you here. And Ernesto Quinones is with us, Associate Professor of Cornell University Department of English and author of three novels, Bodega Dreams, Chango's Fire and Taina. Welcome Ernesto Quinones. Thank you for inviting me. And also Robert Patrick Newcomb is with us, Professor of Luso-Brazilian Studies, Department of Spanish and Portuguese at the University of California, Davis. Robert Patrick Newcomb, glad to have you on as well. Thank you. Thanks so much for the invitation. And so let's start by getting your reactions to Maceo's book. Reina Grande, despite sort of the tragic nature of the protagonist's story, you found yourself laughing through it, apparently. Why? <laughs> Um, yeah, I actually, I was really surprised that I laughed so much because I tend not to get jokes. So I can't watch comedies because <laughs> I never laugh. Uh, but with, with Marcel's book, I just found it hilarious. And maybe I just have a, a strange sense of humor, but I thought it was really funny. And um, I love the satire also. And it reminded me a lot of Candide, you know, Voltaire's Candide mm -hmm. in that the protagonist is just, he's this naive um, boy going through the world, through life with, uh, you know, this rosy look to it and this dream that he has. And um, I love the way Marcel questioned a lot like what does it mean to be an artist who gets to be an artist yeah. and I as I was reading the book I felt that Marcel was having a lot of fun writing this book and it, it really came across how much he enjoyed writing this book and and making fun of himself almost you know since Marcel's an artist like I could just see him making fun of himself, making fun of artists. And then it made me think a lot about like how I see myself as an artist and how I can be guilty of like self-aggrandizement <laughs> of inflated huh. ego. And so it made me laugh at myself as well. <laughs> Robert Patrick Newcomb, one of the things that you said you liked best about the book is that it makes the reader work a bit more. What did you mean by that? Yes, um, I, I think one of the things that's really notable about the book, and, and you talked about this earlier, is that it, it not only is a text, but it also has illustrations that uh, were, were done by Maceo, though, in the context of the book by the unnamed artist, and footnotes as well. And those footnotes at times reinforce what's going on in the main narrative, but they also question the narrator. They draw attention to how the narrator might be presenting the truth selectively to make himself maybe seem more important than he is or his struggles more dramatic than they are. And they also, in one of the, the, um, the people involved in the footnotes, a professor of, of Chicano studies, Professor Pizarro, uh, 
he he tries to contextualize this story within the context of Chicano history and literature and also talks about the the types of stories that haven't been haven't been told and so the the reader absorbs all of this information and has to has to work to to figure out with this kind of uh i guess um I don't know, um, selection of voices, how to how to ultimately interpret the meaning of the novel. And so, Quinones, it sounds like the footnotes really worked for you as well. What is it that that you liked about those? I loved how Marcel uh, tied them to the story. And um, this book is very original in the sense that it's it's a scholarly text because of the footnotes. It's also a graphic novel because of the wonderful sketches. And it's also a novel. It's a very beautiful book too, with amazing, look at the paper, the, the quality of the paper. I saw the novel as a, as a metaphor for procrastination, for <laughs> art, the whole novel. And whether you're a painter, a writer, whatever, you, all of a sudden things that didn't matter, matter as long as you don't do the work. Um, and when the footnotes, there was a, a uh, something about that uh, a lot of Chicanos try to write the book that's going to kill all the books. This is going to be the Chicano masterpiece and they never end up writing anything or they never, they, their expectations as to the execution, as it was mentioned earlier, um, they feel afraid. And the thing is, I think the character was pretty much there in that terrible um, valley that, that a lot of writers and a lot of artists do live, but you have to also get out. Uh, out of that, as Reina said, um, you know, we, we get into all these funks and all it does is really hurt you. And I think that the preparatory notes for a future masterpiece deals with, it's a, it's a book for, uh, for artists, uh, yeah. dealing with a, a really intangible part of being an artist. And I did love the footnotes. Ms. Hamilton, I have to ask you about that. I mean, it, I, I love Ernesto's interpretation of it as like procrastination, though I would say procrastination like on steroids because <laughs> it's really long. Um, and so did, did that enter into it? Is that a word that you associated with what this character was doing? I, I see, I mean, procrastination or just the, the obstacles, the numerous obstacles, the, the self-consciousness, the doubt that gets into uh, an artist's way. And, you know, I think that Ernesto and Reina and, you know, other artists that I know could speak to what, what has helped them get out of those moments, right? A lot of it, just like digging deep inside of oneself to, to find that reserve, to keep going. A lot of times it's, it's mentors. A lot of times it's people who um, are just there to, to encourage you. Um, and he has this great friendship, the narrator with uh, another boy named Enrique, who's, that sustains him for a long time. And then, um, you know, their their friendship ends and he's left he's left alone. And so it's like, how does he kind of continually keep going when there's no one around him to to support him? And what's amazing about having Ernesto here is I I was uh, an, uh, uh, an art student in New York um, at Columbia and I wanted to be a writer and I was so insecure about my writing. Um, I was much more confident about my storytelling ability on canvas, but I was working on a novel and I wasn't, 
I was, you know, too reluctant to share with people. Um, and it just, I, I was just crippled mm. by, by those doubts. And I was actually asked to be someone dropped out of the seminar with Ernesto. And uh, I was able to submit my chapter and I met him at a cafe uh, near Columbia university and Ernesto read that first chapter. And he was just so positive about it. And um I, I, I left that meeting with him just so full of like, uh, you know, my confidence, right? I had that confidence. I had um, what I needed to hear in order to keep going. And I think that, that artists need that. Um, writers need that because, uh, you know, we, we can make fun of ourselves, but that insecurity can be can be very deep. Um, and it's necessary to have those along the way to, to, to keep to keep to nudge you forward. That, that's so beautiful. I- I also wondered if, you know, sometimes we are unable or unwilling to see where our greatest talents lie in favor of something that we really want to be, even though where our greatest talents lie may be the place where we have the potential to make the greatest impact. And so I I wondered if you struggled with this at all. That That's interesting. Um, I guess, you know, I've been drawing my entire life. I, I had my dad there as my mentor. And I, I feel, I, you know, I've never questioned my paintings in the same way that I've questioned and doubted my, my writing. And yet I have become obsessed with literature and wanting to contribute to literature um, and, and Latinx, Chicanx lit, literature in, in particular. And so I've never, I've never stopped painting. Um, but sometimes I wonder what would it have been like if I had just stayed on that course and just was just, you know, dedicated my time in the, in the studio. And yet, you know, you kind of have to follow, you know, what, what it is that, that, that calls it, that calls you, um, even if though there's those, those, those struggles along the way. Yeah. Well, let me go to caller Barbara and Vallejo. Hi, Barbara. Thanks for joining us. Hello. Can you hear me? I can. Um, I don't know if anyone had mentioned this yet, but I thought immediately when I heard of this basic storyline of the Henry James story called Madonna of the Future, I just wonder if anyone has read it or references that it, I read it a long time ago, so forgive me, but basically there's a painter in Italy who's found his perfect Madonna and he's going to paint her and going to paint her. And when he finally is sort of shamed into trying to start, they cry out to him, you know, your Madonna is old, you know, time is close by. So my favorite quote about Henry James is uh, he's a kind of visionary of the small fact. And, you know, it's exquisitely rendered with all of the doubt and, uh, you know, the the inner monologue that goes through an artist's uh, soul. It's a beautiful story. So it sounds like it has a lot in common with the novel that you're discussing today. Barbara, thanks. Monsieur Montoya, did that come to mind at all? You know, I'm not, I'm not familiar with, uh, with so that Henry, <laughs> Henry James book. But, you know, so when I started this novel, I, I wanted to create a character that interacted with, with 
with Chicano history. Um, one of my favorite books is Gunther Grass's Tin Drum, uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez's 100 Years of Solitude, Salman Rushdie's um, uh, Midnight's Children. All of these books, what they have in common is, is this kind of interaction with history. And um, I, I wanted to create a character that would run into uh, you know, these, these um, legends or, or heroes of the Chicano movement. Um, and what, what I discovered as I was writing the novel is that um, every time he can, kind of confronted history, he would run in the opposite direction. And so it, it wasn't my intention starting out that I wanted to write about a self-indulgent kind of self-obsessed um, artist. It's just, it's just what kind of emerged as I, as I followed the character that, that I created. Um, and so, yes, he still confronts or runs into these different historical figures, um, but it's very much about what it means for him and his quest to become an artist. Yeah, it, that's one of the things that's so clear about what the footnotes are doing is that they're, it's almost like sneaking in a history lesson of important uh, Chicanx figures, historical figures, while also critiquing, I think, uh, Chicanx literature to some extent. Reina Grande, I'm wondering if you had the same impression with regard to you know, what this book is saying about Chicanx literature and whether it's like unique in the genre. Yeah, um, well, that's one thing I enjoyed about reading the book was how the, the footnotes really gave it a lot of authority in terms of what it was saying about Chicano literature and what are the themes? And even, you know, Marcel brings this out in the book about like, there's some themes that are accepted in Chicano literature and some themes that are not. Hmm. Um, and that I thought was really interesting. And I like how, you know, and Ernesto brought this up earlier too, about how the book is doing so many things at the same time. And one of those things is a critique on Chicano literature. So that's something that I enjoyed, but I also wanted to point out um, what Ernesto said earlier about the book being about procrastination. And I actually, you know, one thing I really liked about it was um, how the book was offering a critique on how sometimes artists uh, insist that there must be the perfect conditions in order for us to create. And if those conditions don't exist, then we cannot, right? So that's where the procrastination comes from too sometimes in that we're not creating because, you know, we don't have those, those perfect conditions that we want to have in order for us to create. And I thought that was, that was really well done. Um, the other thing that I really loved was also this idea of an artist being misunderstood. Mm. And that's the narrator in this book is, um, is, is a misunderstood artist. So there's this uh, universe, universality to that experience, even though, you know, he's a Chicano artist. And um, I, I really appreciated that as well. So there's so many things that I really love about this book, but definitely um, I think Marcel did a great job using his expertise and his knowledge as a Chicano uh, professor, a Chicano literature and Chicano studies professor to offer a deeper look into um, the Chicano experience, Chicano culture and Chicano literature in this book. Ernesto Quinones, I'm so struck by something that, that Reina said. She said so many great things, but, but one of the things early on when she was saying that 
the stories that we're allowed to tell, do you think that there are boundaries or unspoken limits? Yes, of course. Um, I was, um, one of the footnotes is about John Reshi and how John Reshi's um, uh, City of Night, which is about a hustler, a gay hustler, a street hustler, uh, is pretty much left out of the Chicano canon. Some teach it, but most mm -hmm. don't, as if John Reshi, who was, who was Chicano, he was half Chicano, um, he was half Mexican. And he, um, because homophobia isn't a topic that is not just um, considered uh, kosher in, in, in Chicano literature, but in all Latino literature. So therefore you can see the homophobia being sort of uh, uh, put in that category that that's not something we talk about. That's not something that represents Chicanos or represents Latinos, we're manly or we're, we're communal people. We love our community, we love our families. And here you have this novel, which is a beautifully written novel about a gay hustler. And that is something that pretty much is sort of tabooed in the Chicano literature and, and in the culture of, of us Latinos. Minister, you've also said that you were shocked that Maceo got this published. <laughs> Why were you shocked? Well, aren't you? I mean, look, look at this beautiful book that does everything. <laughs> You think an editor would say, no, this is going to sell? Um, you know, I mean, I mean, this is absolutely a, a feat to do something this ambitious as writing a book that encompasses three, three genres, if you want to say, the, the literary, the scholarly text, the novel, and the graphic novel, and then this beautifully, and with this quality, uh, the paper is it's very expensive. And I, I'm, uh, I, when I wrote Maceo, he said that uh, the University of Nevada, I think, uh, were very nice. And I was like, wow, I should, I should send them stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely want to hear. Uh, I definitely want to hear about what it took to get this published, Maceo Montoya. But just before we go into the break, Robert Patrick Newcomb, really quickly, I, I wonder if you just can give us your 30 seconds on where you think this book falls in sort of Chicano literature generally. I think you're, you're the one who mentioned that you felt it was unique. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not a specialist in Chicano literature, so I, I can't really speak to, uh, to, to where it stands in that tradition, but I do, I like the fact that particularly through the footnotes, uh, it's a provocation. Um, it uh, presents a, a protagonist who is the opposite of all of the things that in the footnotes are described as sort of typical of, of uh, stories of uh, particularly coming of age stories in the Chicano tradition. This is an antisocial pretentious artist who does not reconcile with his family or his community uh, and stands defiantly outside of, of those things. Hmm. Uh, even yes, as he's, he's not always likable either. <laughs> no. <laughs> We're talking with Robert Patrick Newcomb, Ernesto Quinones, Reina Grande about Maceo Montoya's book, Preparatory notes for future masterpieces, and we have the author himself, Maceo Montoya, with us. You, our listeners, are also here. Stay with us. We'll have more after the break. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. 
Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Coming up tomorrow on Forum, why we sweat and why we spend billions annually on products to mask perspiration, yet also relish the sweaty catharsis of gyms or saunas. We'll talk with Sarah Everts, whose new book is The Joy of Sweat. Plus, Yamiche Alcindor joins us for reflections on politics in Haiti and her recent move to the host chair of PBS's Washington Week. To listen to past shows and subscribe to our podcast, visit kqed.org forum. For the latest updates on our programs and guests, Find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. We're at KQBD Forum, and you can follow me at MKIM Reporter. It's Forum's Book Club, and we're talking about Maceo Montoya's novel, Preparatory Notes, for future masterpieces with Reina Grande, author of the memoirs, The Distance Between Us, A Dream Called Home, the novels Across a Hundred Mountains and Dancing with Butterflies. Ernesto Quinones is also with us, associate professor in Cornell University's Department of English, also an author and novelist as well, and Robert Patrick Newcomb, a professor at the University of California, Davis in their Department of Spanish and Portuguese. The author is also with us, also a muralist and artist, Maceo Montoya. And you, our listeners, can join with your thoughts and questions at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. Email us, forum at kqed.org. What are your reactions to what you're hearing about Chicanx literature? Maybe you have critiques or favorite examples of your own, or maybe you want to muse on what stands in the way of creating masterpieces and and what happens, the value in unrealized dreams. And uh, Lloyd writes, procrastination may be one factor that diverts artists from their work. However, procrastination may actually be an emotional response to just the efforts to survive as an artist, because too many artists must choose between taking a job that demands artists sacrifice the time to develop their work, especially in a country like the US that doesn't readily fund artists or provide it in its educational system. Yet never forget, one often meets one's destiny on the road to avoid it, even if one has to take detours. Every experience can feed into an artist's work. Wow. Well, before we dive into some really great thoughts that Lloyd has presented us with, I do want to ask you about you know, the process of publishing this and the difficulty of getting a book like this published, which is sort of like a story within a story, but also with fictionalized footnotes that are, you know, modern commentary on a past story, and then more than 50 illustrations that you did uh, in the way you envisioned the narrator doing pen drawings as well. It is a lot to take in. Like, what made you stay true to this idea for the 10 years that you said it took to write it or to get it even published after several years. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, the um, Lloyd's comment about kind of the journey and that becoming part of the work. And so even though there are these detours, those actually can kind of kind of inform the creative process and and the actual result, the, the book itself or the artwork itself. And um, I so initially it was just the, the narrator's story. 
and um, I would send it out and, you know, I, I would get rejected um, or the response that I would get was they didn't quite know what to make of this story and like, where does it fit within, within Latinx literature? And I think that this, there is that kind of onus on uh, Latinx writers to kind of explain why this is important and why an audience is out there who wants to learn about this experience. And so you're always kind of using that language to describe your work. And here was a book where I felt like this is about an outsider. This is about um, uh, um, you know, someone separate from, from a community. And uh, so how does it, how does it fit? And, and so in, in getting that response to it, um, I, I think that over time, I was, I was thinking through these ideas about Latinx literature and Chicanx literature and the, the sociological and anthropological interest that has driven the, the literature. Um, people want to learn about a certain community or they want to learn about a certain experience. And that can that can really kind of limit the the stories that are that are told, and and so over the ten years that I was writing the book, I was also I started to teach at UC Davis, and I was teaching literature courses, and I was thinking a lot about these issues and the books that I chose and the the conversations that I was having in the classroom, and and so I I I was thinking about both my novel and and these issues and I just decided like if I'm thinking about them if this is part of 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 what this what this novel is and my experience then why don't I lean into that and include those include those footnotes um, I ended up creating a character separate from myself this professor Pisado um, but there are many of my, the ideas that that I've batted around for for years and as far as including the 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 images, um, I knew that I had to, you know, that it'd be easier to publish if they were black and white illustrations. But my very first attempt at a novel was through like almost 50 paintings um, uh, that I created when I graduated from, after I graduated from, from undergrad. I lived in a small town, agricultural town of Knight's Landing. I was painting these uh, stories of undocumented field workers. And I started to write these, these stories that would go along with it. And that became my first attempt at a novel. And I was told very early on that no one would touch this because of the, the expense. Um, and yet here was like this creative project that, uh, that entailed the visual and the, the written. Um, I do think it has become easier um, to, to publish these kinds of work today. Um, and that people are, are receptive to hybrid, hybrid works, to, to um, creative works that, 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 um, that cross genres. Um, I, I think that we realize that there's no reason to have that rigidity when it comes to, to genre or form, and that the, the most important thing is like how the story is being told. At the same time, uh, University of Nevada Press, they took a chance with this, and I, th and I think that they can, because their focus is not on sales, their focus is on uh, you know, bringing unique literature to their to their readership. You know, one thing I want to put to all of our club members today is this question of of what happens to a work. Like, for example, if Maceo's book was never published, where does it go? What happens to the never done painting? What happens to the never realized masterpiece? I'm wondering how we should hold them and what value you think they have. And, and anyone can jump in if they if they have a thought on that. But uh, we can also start with uh, Ernesto Quinones. I, there's a footnote 
Um, and by the way, there are other books for footnotes. Um, and I always thought that footnotes get in the way. And sometimes I don't even read them. Like like Miguel Puig's, um, sorry, um, Puig's um, Kiss of a Spider Woman is so full of footnotes. After a while, I just ignore them. You know, and Caramelo Cisneros also has some footnotes that I, I also, you know, I just kept reading about the grandma and the kid. Um, but Marcel has a very Dostoevskian kind of voice and a lot of humor in his voice. And those that translated also in the footnotes, which was a back and forth between the two professors. And so I thought that that was wonderful. Um, and now uh, your question, um, um, you know, I think that that's, uh, there's a footnote about Tijerina and the professor, I think, asked, why should I care if he's forgotten? Why should I care if he's forgotten? And I think that's a wonderful question. All I can say is I don't know. Um, I do know that there are other uh, books that do get published that are, just, that are just wonderful. And that's what I have. It's sort of like the one that got away. I can't, I, the one that I never met. If I never met her, well, you know, there are those that I did meet and I'm going to remember them. And those are the ones I'm going to care about. Uh, that's how I would handle this. It's one of the saddest things in, in, as an artist that there are books that will never be published and will be great. And they're in, in, in painting, there's so many uh, artists that especially women, there's no masterpieces, no, no master women. There must've been women painting during Michelangelo's time. We never heard of them, we don't have, but we do have this now. We have O'Keeffe and Gallo and whatever. So I would, I, would, I would embrace those and try to also in my own somehow way, uh, being a schmuck uh, a, a writer, I'd also help make more uh, masterpieces uh, um, come to life. And Nevada did that with publishing this wonderful book that if they wouldn't, it, I think that uh, Marcel would probably have it in the, in the closet for a very long time. Reina Grande, do you have any thoughts on this? On where these things go? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it, we need to really look at, for example, the state of Latino literature here in this country and how Latino writers don't have enough opportunities for publishing. So we don't even have to work too hard to imagine all of these unpublished works because they're out there right now. There's so many aspiring writers who have knocked on the doors of publishers and they have, you know, walked away with, with nothing. Um, so I know that they're out there, um, so many writers and artists, you know, dreaming and hoping for an opportunity that never comes. So that's something that we need to talk more about in terms of the publishing business, the art world, even the film and TV world too that insists on keeping Latinos out and we constantly have to fight against this invisibility and you know the silencing of our voices. So I'm, I'm really hoping that you know um, Maceo has been one of these writers that is constantly pushing those boundaries and, and presenting these works that don't um, you know, necessarily appeal to like mainstream publishers, but, you know, you see the work and how great it is and that there is a need for it and a deep appreciation. I think everybody here today deeply appreciates what Maceo is doing in terms yes. of presenting these really beautiful books that we need to read more of. And I hope that, you know, with what he's doing, 
he's also opening the door for those artists and writers who are being rejected by mainstream publishers, but who have really beautiful, incredible stories to tell. Robert Patrick Newcomb, interestingly, though, it does feel like this character in the novel has achieved something. What would you, do you think so? And what would you say that is? Yes, I, I completely agree. And it took me a little while to realize this, but eventually after finishing the novel, it occurred to me that, uh, of course, the novel is the story of a failed artist, uh, but uh, the manuscript itself that he prepares, uh, he, he ends up telling his life story. It's accompanied by 50 illustrations. And so ultimately, in, in a way, he does succeed. Uh, he's able to get over his phase of presenting copious preparatory notes. Uh, he, uh, the artist, in, in quotes, because it's really Maceo, of course, the artist uh, prepares these uh, 50 beautiful drawings and, and eloquently tells his life story. And so there is success there, of course, uh, as Ernesto uh, pointed out, Earlier, um, if if this hadn't been published, the story would never have been told. But in this case, at least uh, within the novel, the manuscript is found, uh, it's it's prepared, it's published, and so uh, posthumously, at least, uh, the artist succeeds in expressing himself. Well, the sister writes, for me, the pool hall scene is so beautiful because that was where I realized the protagonist was a real artist, even though he's only making preparatory notes. The level of detail he captures in those notes is moving and is made even more so because the reader understands that no matter how self-obsessed the narrator presents himself on the page, he really is observant of the world around him, the minutiae that exists external to his mind. Pete tweets, I haven't read the book, but I'm fascinated by the yin and yangs, creativity and perfection, mentors and procrastination, boundaries and our masterpieces. Susan writes, I'm a seasoned artist in basketry and drawing. Now I've finished my first piece of fiction, but I'm caught in the procrastination of how to get it out into the world. And all your guests are talking about it. We're talking about Maceo Montoya's novel, Preparatory Notes for Future Masterpieces. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Let me go to caller Marco in Berkeley. Hi, Marco. Hi, how are you doing, Mina? Thank you for taking the call. Yeah. What's on your mind? And, well, you know, I just want to thank the author especially. Um, and, you know, I missed the beginning of the show, but I understand that part of the Montoya dynasty of Northern California connected directly to the Royal Chicano Air Force. As someone who grew up in Woodland, California, and spent time between Knight's Landing and my brother, my grandmother's house in Sacramento uh -huh. for high school uh -huh. in Davis. And I just want to applaud again, um, your efforts to sort of take this experience that we have agriculturally and rurally and, and turn the, the Chicanx experience and the Latinx experience in this country, which is one that's often portrayed as urban, turn it upside down in a lot of ways. Um, huh. So it really makes me so happy that uh, that you spent time in Night's Landing painting and that I wish more people knew about um, these works that sort of when we're talking about stories that don't get allowed to be told a lot of times these rural tales of what it means to be latinx in this country and to move from one country to another across these sacred spaces and making a life here they're not often they're not often posted up in in, in media if you think about like um the novel the earth did not swallow him uh, it's just this, this amalgamation of stories that, that present another side of our lives so i was wondering 
in terms of the inspiration that you draw from this terrific family of, of artists, including you know folks that are probably family friends like uh, Esteban Villa and 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 others like uh, Judith Bacta here in the Bay Area, how is it that you've drawn upon sort of the experiences of your ancestors uh, and and the artists of previous generations in your own family to sort of tell some of these stories that that I'm looking forward to read uh, now in the new novel. Marco, thanks, Marcel. Yeah, thank you for that that question, Marco. You know, I guess just in growing up in a family of artists and seeing all of these 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 different storytellers and the different mediums that they used. I mean, all of that in informed informed me from from a very early age. And uh, to see my my uncle up on stage singing a song and then having him reading a poem and then knowing all the artwork that uh, that he had that he had produced. Um, you know, all of that was, was very inspiring and, and, you know, but I, 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 my, my connection is directly to, to my father and, and he, his artwork is just like, it, it's, he is very striking and powerful and, and, um, and dark as well. But then to hear him tell a story, he's always cracking us up. And, and as all the stories of his childhood, having grown up in poverty as a migrant farm worker, um, they're, they're always told to, to, to make you laugh, to make his audience laugh. And, and so I think that that informed, I guess, the way that, that I write. Mm. And um, that I want to tell an entertaining story. I, I want to crack the, the the reader up, and 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 I want um, you know to kind of draw the reader into this different experience, um, and often try to do that through 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 humor. Um, and so I, I feel all of these different kind of voices uh, from from my family, and uh, that, that that has had you know such a big impact on on my my style as an artist and as a writer. Well, Heather writes, listening to this discussion, the book appears to pick up on themes that I've also read recently in The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue and The Interestings. Namely, these deep existential questions, our desire to make a mark on the world, the role of art as it means, as a means to that, and painfully our failure to achieve it. Is this a generational matter? Are these questions of special concern to the emerging generation of readers and writers? Or is there something cultural happening in American life that is surfacing these issues? It seems to me that the interest in these topics is deep and wide. We just have a minute left, Maceo Montoya, but I do wonder, I'm reminded by Heather's question, what do you tell your students, the aspiring writers, the dreamers? I, I mean, I just, I tell them how important that their stories are and how high the stakes are, that if they're not seeing themselves in literature, if they're not seeing their stories in, in, in these different media, then they need to be the ones to, to tell those stories. They need to be the ones to, to preserve um, their, their histories, their family stories, and that if they're not doing it, then, then no one else will. And I, I feel that the stakes are that high and that there, this is this response responsibility that we have. And, you know, Chicanx Latinx literature remains a very much a marginalized literature that is overlooked um, and ignored. And, and it shouldn't be. Um, but I think that that can kind of be my, my, my passion for talking about it, even at times it can be frustrating because you feel as if no one is listening. But I encourage my students to tell their stories and that hopefully um, we'll arrive at a time where we see, we see those stories all around us. Well, Maceo Montoya, thank you so much for being the author for our first book club. And thank you, Reina Grande, Ernesto Quinones, and Robert Patrick Newcomb for being 
the club members of our inaugural book club. The book is preparatory notes for future masterpieces, and we go out with a song that Maceo Montoya says he grew up with. Thanks for listening to Forum. I'm Mina King. Cantemos hermanos al nuevo sol. Cantemos hermanos al nuevo sol. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.